me in the act of deflating my ass cushion <laughs> that is a hell of a sentence <laughs> that is a hell of a start for a show it's that uh did i tell you about this thing last week i think i told you about it after we hung up from the recording the uh balance you know the active sitting cushion no i haven't uh i think yeah i think you did mention it yeah it's like a latex or latex it's plastic basically it's like a yoga ball but you put it on your chair uh-huh. And it stops you from sitting in one place for in one position for too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you you did tell me about it. Yeah, I think I've had this thing because you know you choose your own inflation um, level. I think I had it too strong, so it's actually been hurting my back. So hopefully, what I just did will help. Is it bouncy? No, it's it's only like three or two or three inches thick. Okay. So you're just trying to find an optimal, you don't, you want it inflated enough that, you know, you can move around on it, that it's supporting you. But if it's too, I don't know, maybe if it's too inflated, it starts to do the same thing a chair does, you know, digs into your back. We'll see. Anyways, (laughs) you know, what's great about this um, new idea that we had last week of these, you know, giving ourselves challenges for the week. Mm Mm-hmm. So we know where to start every episode because we can follow up on all that stuff. Sure. Which is kind of nice. And then we can fall wherever we fall after that. I have a feeling that it's going to give people the impression, at least at the beginning of the show, that this is like some sort of productivity show. Which this like is a nice. challenge productivity. Well, it is in a way. That's part of it. I think, yeah. I don't even, who knows what the hell this show is about. It's about you and me talking. That's well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the productivity thing is definitely, I, I think, I think the show itself mirrors our lives and what we're striving for. So right now, for example, I think, you know, our pushes towards things like understanding society and politics, as well as trying to figure out ways to detach ourselves from our devices and become more connected to our people is just, it just mirrors who we are right now. And who knows, like three months from now, we might want to be both be pastry chefs. Yeah, we do go through phases, and I guess that's, I mean, it's interesting for us. So hopefully if you guys are still listening, it's interesting to you too. If not, well, you know how to not listen to something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's usually a lot easier than actually listening. So, All right. Anyways, so let's follow up as I send you this over. Let's follow up on your uh, your challenge. Holy crap. Taking emails off. <laughs> this is a big challenge. If you guys didn't listen last week. Lem, Lem, tell tell them what your challenge was. To take uh, all email apps off my phone. And you had what, like 2,000 badges at the time? I literally had, I had, so I consistently use four different email addresses for four different businesses. Um, The badges in total for all four, uh, because I just don't have the the mind space or energy to clear them out, was something like 1,700. Yeah, that's uh, not good. And, and, and not only that, but I thought that organizing them into separate email apps would actually make it easier. It actually made it a whole hell of a lot worse. Yeah, because you uh, increase the badges. Instead of one badge, yeah. you've got them on four different things. Yeah, exactly. So now I have badges everywhere. And it's just this constantly device that's just constantly screaming at me to do something about these damn badges. Well, you say now, does that mean you put them back on? No, no, no. They're, they're done. 
they're I only I literally only have one and the badges are turned off. That's the the built in one or what? No, um, it's it's one I specifically have to use for work. Mm. Makes me think, where, what line is that from? We don't need those stinking badges. <laughs> what is that? That's uh, Treasures of Sierra Madres. Ah, that's right. Good call. Holy crap, you have a great memory for very specific things. <laughs> <laughs> Completely useless for other things, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, um, so the so, experiment went horrifying. Um, <laughs> I imagined it would. That's a frightening challenge. But but here's the thing though is that I because of my because I broke um so so for anyone who who knew about the challenge prior to this one it was the informal challenge before we kind of took this next step um, the challenge was to remove social media apps um, and I cheated a couple of times um, and downloaded Instagram specifically to post certain things um, and so I broke my own rules for that one uh, this time I didn't do it um, and I, I made a promise to myself upon deleting the email apps that I would, regardless of how painful it was, I would not break the rule. I would keep them off. And that first two days was a nightmare. Like, I mean, (laughs) I can't even tell you, like people were trying to figure out where the hell I was. I wasn't responding to stuff. Apparently I had a conference call. So I had to figure out, I had to figure out how to do it basically. Um, It's a learning process. Yeah. Because I I sent out an email um, to most people saying, hey, I'm going to be checking my email you know, at 11 o'clock and at four o'clock. And it turns out that you can't just tell people when you're going to check email. You have to tell them when you're not going to check email. Right. And that's, that's a weird thing to say, but in a world in which we expect people to be on call all the time, um, not being on call is, is unexpected. So you have to tell people, I'm checking them at this time, these times, but I'm also not checking them any other time. <laughs> right. And you would, you would assume that you, you, the second part is implied. Absolutely not. It's implied. So that first day was a nightmare. Like was, people were trying to find me. No one knew where the hell I was um, because they just weren't used to it. And, and I didn't do the thing that we had talked about last episode, which is slowly acclimate people to it. I just went cold turkey for everyone and said, okay, you know, like we've got, these these are literally the times I'm going to check eleven and three thirty. And if you want me to respond to something quicker, then you've either got to call me or text me. Um, call me if it's really important. Text me. I may not even see that right away either. Um, disaster. I think, I think the cold turkey in the long run it's hard at first, but it's better because I think when you acclimate people, mm-hmm. they kind of learn how to edge and manipulate you to where you don't actually only check twice a day. In my experience, at least. Yeah, it's it's full. It's it, it's definitely the better way to go. Um, well, I mean, I don't have any I don't have any experience doing it any other way. Like the only way I've done it is cold turkey. But I will say that people adjusted to it really fast. Um, I I will say that there are a few outliers that had some issues. Um, so I'd say by like day three, I'd say ninety percent people were on board and knew what they were doing. Um, and there were only a few people. Unfortunately, one of them was my boss who had issues with it, but then he got used to like really, he got used to calling me um, and or um, the more important thing, which is batching his emails. Like, you know, most things that people email you with throughout the course of the day are not time dependent, um, even if it's a task. So I just brain train people to combine them. (laughs) Yeah, just save a draft. In your, yeah, same, in your same box. yeah, and just drop a, you know, and I told my boss um, that, you know, once you get to five bullet points, send it to me. Yeah. And then I'll see it. And 
what that's why that buy-in what we talked about a, a little bit briefly that idea of telling people why and making them understand why it's valuable to them that you're mm-hmm. doing that is so important because yeah we we live in this world where we assume that everybody's at our beck and call at all times so we take on this sense of entitlement and it's really hard to get people to turn against that sense of entitlement when they don't see how it benefits them sure and i definitely put that in my email out to people about the 11 o'clock and, and you know, um, 3.30 thing is I, I told people why I was doing it. You know, I didn't want to be ruled my, by my device. I wanted to have more time to focus on the things that were important, not just in my job, but in my life and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I made all of that as abundantly clear as possible. And there were definitely people who, after the fact, wanted to, you know, they asked me, you know, is something wrong? Like, are you, <laughs> you know, like, are you, are you losing your mind or something? Are you having like a nervous breakdown? And my response to them was, yes, I am. 100% I am. Totally. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% controlled by my device and I'm sick and tired of living that life. And that's not to say that I have any problem with, with the way people work normally. I just don't want to be stuck on my phone 24 hours a day. Well, everybody, in reality, when you actually get down to ask people about it, everybody feels that way. We've just been programmed to believe that that's normal. Sure. You know, like that, that feeling of urgency and that, all of that, that high, that high level of alertness that we're all in, we're taught that that's normal. It's not normal. Your brain needs to go into off mode sometimes. I will say though, that there is, there's, I had to come to a compromise. Like, so part of the the thing that I, I just said to you was that I had to install one email app on my phone. Um, my boss made it conditional. Like, I mean, he, he, his response was basically, don't make me force you to put this on here because I'm your boss. Meet me in the middle on this somehow. You know what I mean? Um, and so my response to him was, okay, I will install the specific one for work only. I will turn all badges and notifications off for it. I will only check it at 11 and 3.30. And he said, okay, well, I guess that's fair. Like we're, we're meeting halfway there. Because I told him that I didn't want any email apps on my phone ever. Like I just didn't want it. You know what I mean? Um, so, so I actually, I just did that today. So as of today, we had a long conversation about it and he understands why I'm doing it. He respects that. Uh, but he also wants me to be able to respond to client emails, you know, cause we, we ran into an issue where like he gave me a phone call, um, and I wasn't near a computer, so I couldn't reply to someone's email and it was time dependent. So I compromised and I added a, a phone email app back onto my phone. But other than that, man, no more. Yeah. It feels great. Feels amazing. <laughs> to be honest, I I mean I've done it, but I have I have email apps on my phone. I just have the badges turned off and I buried them in a folder. Yeah. So, yep. You know, if I'm on a trip or something, I'm running and I need, like you said, you know, I have to do this now, and there's no, no other way to do it. I'm not going to go to an internet cafe. Do those even exist anymore? <laughs> I'm, sure they, I'm, I'm I'm positive they do. Do they have computers in there where you can? I don't think you can anymore. Really? Who, who the heck knows, man? I don't know. Libraries, I guess. Yeah. I was just reading this article um, about someone who... Actually, I read two articles. One person lost their phone and another person gave up their phone for like a year and a half. And they were just talking about how baffling it was for people, um, talking to people about not having a phone. You know, people say, well, what do you do in case of an emergency? And I've had that exact conversation with somebody. Actually, it was with my mother. And I said... You lived over 50 years of your life without a phone in your pocket. What did you do in case of emergency then? <laughs> you know, like you've survived this long. Now all of a sudden we believe that this is the only way to do things. And it's so scary because 
you do look like a nutbag. People people can't wrap their head around it. Yeah, but I also do see the I do see the logic from the other side in it. Like I'm I'm not one of those luddites, you know. Like I'm I do believe that the the power of the technology is is very much there and very usable by humanity. I just I just think that that it, it's the difference. It, the it comes down to what we we always talk about, right? Like or what what we talk about when it comes to politics. It's about it's about need not want, and it should be about want not need. Right. You gotta have a choice. It can't be. It can't. The device cannot control how often you go into it, and if it does, then it's defeating its purpose. Well, I think that there's the culture of email has really changed because of mobile devices. Sure. That to the point when you actually break it down, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. You know, like it, for example, going back to my my mother, like to this day, um, she still confuses the term text message and email. Why? Because when you actually think about it, they're not any different. They're literally no different. Well, they should be, but they're not. Right. Because now we have email on our phone, but before email was different because you had to go to the computer. So, you know, you could send things that you could look at on big screens and, you know, you write longer things because somebody's sitting down to read them. They're not on the go. And a text message was supposed to be something immediate, like running late. But now we use them interchangeably. And I don't know that that's to our benefit. I, I definitely think that it's, it, it isn't. Um, it's, it's, oh man, it's, it's even hard to describe. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm going through this weird transformation um, and I'm coming through the other side with the wisdom um, that I've always needed to use this device properly um, and, and, and read email properly and treat texts properly. I think I've slowly been coming to that just, just naturally with some of these things, like with text messages, for example. Most, people's, most people think that I'm horrible at responding to text messages. And there's a reason for that. It's because we have an expectation with text messages that a reply has to come right away or a reply has to come at all. Right, you know like I mean? it's a chat room. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, you send me articles all the time that I don't reply to, even though I've read them. I don't reply to them. I have people from work who send me documents that I read and then don't reply to, and I think there's a certain expectation level that I've, I've over the last year of my life, I've been trying to set subconsciously about not feeling because it's it's the action that kills me. It's the the need to respond to every single message, and I mean. You know, on any on any average day, I think the, the 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 it was actually a conversation that you and I had probably about two, maybe three years ago about text messaging that led me to track an average for the over the course of a month as to how many text messages I averaged a day, and it was something like 147. It's probably worse now. Oh yeah, absolutely, it's worse now. But the thing is, the way I treat them is very different now. You know what I mean? Um, when I was getting those 147 text messages, I was replying to all of them right away. So there was never a point at which my attention was held on something for more than 15 to 20 minutes before I was replying to a text message. Right. Versus now where because I have notifications turned off on my phone, like I'll dip back into my messages and I'll see like 47 messages, um, or like, you know, 22 messages or 103 messages, however long it was that I was doing the thing that I was doing, but I will not let my attention be diverted by that device. I just won't do it. I, uh, kind of went through a similar thing with text messages recently. Cause you know, like in the, in the time that you've known me, I've always been the very fast replier. Always. Oh yeah. In, you're like instantaneous, like I, but it's because you also used it on your computer. 
Um, so mm-hmm. that's a little different as well. Like I, up until two weeks ago, I didn't have a Mac, so I wasn't getting iMessage on, on, on my laptop. So it was kind of a nice escape. And actually, I've turned off notifications for iMessage on my Mac um, from time to time just because I just don't want it. I just don't want it. I'm so used to not getting it that now getting it annoys me. <laughs> yeah, see, now like I, that's the place where I prefer to text message now because that's an ironic time to get a chime. Uh, I was <laughs> um, wondering if you did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't mine. That was yours. Was that mine? Yeah. There's no um, way that's mine. All my notifications are turned off. I didn't get a notification anywhere. So, oh, that's weird. That's really weird. So it's the it's the technology gods that are mad at us right now. Yeah, exactly. Sending us a message. Sorry. But, but I actually prefer to text message on the computer now. Because now it's like I actually think of it more like a chat room. Like while I'm sitting here and I'm doing this, I'm available for chat. I actually, I, I actually agree with that. Like you know, because I do so many things, um, a few things we'll talk about offline politically that will fascinate you. Um, but I definitely feel like those are office hours for me. You know what I mean? Like I'm a professor and those are office hours for me. So if there's a time in which you want to talk to me with undivided attention, it will be when I'm sitting in front of my computer and I'm messaging you back. Right. Yeah, because that's one thing I wish that you could do with text messages that you used to be able to do with like AIM. Mm -hmm. Um, For anybody that's too young to know what that is, AOL Instant Messenger. Kind of the precursor to many things what we understand as text messaging today, sure. Yeah, and um, the messaging that was built into, that's built into Facebook and all that stuff. AIM and ICQ were the predecessors. But anyways, what you used to be able to do in those things is you'd say, I'm here or I'm gone. Yep. And some of them, even if you were inactive for a period of time, it would show like inactive. I think Facebook still does that. Actually, Facebook Messenger on the desktop tells people when you're active. Hmm. Um, but that was that was a different way, you know, because you're like, I'm it was also a different time. At that time, we're talking about late nineties, almost into the two thousands, but I don't think it actually made it that far. You would actually sit down to the computer to chat. That's what you know, like you would especially with AOL, you would before it was instant messenger and it was just built into the AOL application, which was a way to get onto the internet. Um you would sit down and you're like, I'm going to sit down and talk to people and you find people and you would talk to them. And that's all you were doing at the computer. You weren't multitasking. You were just chatting. And there, there was something cool about that. It's so weird to think that the, the world operated like that. Not even that long ago. Yeah. We're talking, well, I guess we're, we're a little old. That was like 30 years ago. <laughs> Is it really? Holy well, crap. Ni- 1990 was 29 years ago. Oh, <laughs> you know that for for anybody that's under the age of, we'll say twenty five. I'm going to let you on to a really <laughs> frightening fact. That is brutal. Carry the on. way you feel right now in your head and age, that's how you're always going to feel. <laughs> so when somebody points out that you know it's been thirty years since something, it's going to blow your mind every time because in your head you don't feel like you've aged thirty years. That was one of the rare moments, Chad, in my life where I kind of freaked out a little bit. I didn't know what to do with that statement. <laughs> I never I never conceive of it that way, you know? I never think to myself, like, I, I think about certain friendships I've had, man. I've known Carlos Agrillo for 25 years. Right. I've known Eric Victorino for 20 years. I've known... 
I think Sarah for 25 years. Jeez. I've known my friend John Carlson for over 30 years. Dude, there are, there are kids who have, have been born, gone to college, and gotten jobs in the time we've had certain friendships. Right. Well, there, there are people that I've drank with. Well, I don't drink anymore, but when I used to drink, I would drink with. <laughs> I was in college when they were born. Oh, man. That's weird. That's really that weird is, when you think is, about it. That is you freaking have to stop weird. thinking about it. Um, also, while we're still talking about the email apps, do you still have social media apps off your phone? Um, man, that's a no. <laughs> well, 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 here's here's why it's a here's why it's a yes, and here's why it's a no. Um, I allow myself. Here's a weird compromise for you, um, and and you're gonna you're either gonna love or hate this one. So I install Instagram on my phone for 30 minutes each night. Interesting. It's a yeah, lot of so, work. So yes and no. Yes, that's the reason why I do it. Because I, what I'm trying to trick myself into is at some point, I'm just going to be like, wow, this is a pain in the ass. I'm going to stop doing this. Um, so are you, are you, what are you doing in those 30 minutes though? I dig through um, all of my art stuff. Like I, I love looking at <coughs> you know, artists and things that I've, I've found interesting. I reply to a few people randomly. There are some people who I only know through Instagram um, for like business stuff. Um, so I reply to a couple of those messages. Um, it's not as intense as it used to be uh, because I only give myself half an hour to 45 minutes to do it and then I uninstall it. Uh, but yeah, my, my hope is that in, in the process of making it such a huge pain in the ass that I will just at some point stop doing it. And that's why you choose not to do it in the browser. Yeah, exactly. I mean, browser browser just seems a little too easy to dip into. You know what I mean? Um, so I've kind of, because I'm on my, because it, and I don't care who gives me shit for this, interface-wise and ease of use-wise, my Mac is a far superior machine than to any PC I've ever owned. Um, and so I'm on my computer more. Like, I just enjoy the experience of using my computer again. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and so having Instagram on my computer is actually really tempting. I dip in and out of it more often than I've actually, weirdly, I actually felt like I was on Instagram more on my computer than I ever was on my phone. Well, in, in reality, it's way cooler on the computer because the images are huge. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a better <laughs> experience. The pictures look better. The videos run better. I mean, all that stuff. I'm not looking you have at a keyboard to device. type with. Yeah, exactly. You can type way faster. The speakers are better. So the videos are awesome. Um, so the experience is better and I don't want it to be better. That's not the point of it. You know what I mean? The point is to, if a social media is going to serve any practical purpose, it's to make me feel a connection to a certain thing, a certain way. And I felt like I needed to control that a little bit more by having it on a device and only at a certain time of day. And it worked actually, you know, I don't, I don't dip in there nearly as often as I thought I would. And I've already had two nights out of this week, for example, where I've just been like, ah, it's a pain in the ass. I'm not doing this shit. I'm officially completely detoxed. Really? Done. I haven't signed yeah. into any of my accounts for a week and a half. Oh, man. That's amazing. Now, I still, I've I found a way to post. because So there's, um, for anybody curious that wants to try this, um, you know, for example, announcing the episodes. I haven't announced the episodes. That's you know, until I decide that I don't want social media at all, I'm going to announce the episodes. That's all I post. Sure. Um, so there's a there's a thing called Later, which is it's just a Instagram scheduler. So I go into Later, and boom, 
schedule my post and then it posts the next day. And then for Facebook, I just, I sign into, um, for Facebook and, uh, Twitter, I use buffer and I'll just schedule the post for those and then leave that. And I'm doing this all on the desktop. And then in 15 minutes, I've got less than 15 minutes. I have my post scheduled. I haven't been distracted by looking at anything else. I haven't seen any messages to reply to nothing. I just schedule and leave. Hmm. And it is wonderful. <laughs> uh, but because of that, I've had to take on other things. Um, so th- that was my challenge. The reason I brought that up, that was my challenge last week, was to use social media only for posting episode posts and posts for things that show up on the website and not posting anything else. And I succeeded at that. Has... Well, I mean, I guess I guess it's not that big a leap from where you're you, you've been. Um, do you think you will use the actual native applications ever again? No, I don't. Um, I have no interest. Got it. But I also think um, this. It sounds like it's not that big of a leap, but I think that only posting those things was a huge leap because it was a huge risk. Sure. Um, because we've been also trained to believe that if you're not maintaining a healthy social media presence, especially as a creator, that you're screwing yourself. That you've made yourself irrelevant in some way, yeah. Yeah. If I'm not if I'm not posting, continually posting interesting links and continually looking for interesting links, then no one's going to care about the episodes of the show. Bullshit. If you like a podcast, you listen to the pod almost all the podcasts when I was using social media, I would say when I was and I was listening to like close to like I think sixty podcasts um i would i probably followed only like two of those people on social media but i still listen to every episode they posted i feel like you're the exception of the rule that most people might do that it's it's a it's a it's a bullshit model in reality i don't give a shit what they're posting on their social media the episodes are where you want to hear the good stuff right sure because that's where things are fleshed out i I could post small little tweets of things that we're going to talk about this week but you're going to have to read it in a short little paragraph instead of hearing me and you stumble our way through the conversation, which I think is far more interesting. Sure, sure. So why waste all that time? There's no payback. Well, I mean, if we if we define anything in the show, um, the reason why it's interesting to me, um, and I assume the reason why it's interesting to two of us listening is the discovery process. You know, the 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 fleshing out we do of the ideas and the 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 the, the, the epiphanies and the pitfalls that come along with having to understand what the other person is trying to get to in the moment right well i think that's i think that's why um i'm not going to share the exact idea because until i i don't i I hate telling people like oh i'm thinking about doing this on the website or something like that um because i'm thinking about it doesn't mean i'm going to do it so it sets up a weird expectation but you and i had talked about an idea that i had and so that everybody doesn't feel lost. I feel like the idea that I had is the exact opposite of what we're talking about. So people would take a podcast, which you see a lot of people and and a lot of um, famous people, like um, Oprah does this all the time on her podcast. They have this conversation with someone that's in-depth and, you know, is is like what we're doing here. You know, not super in-depth, but more in-depth than a tweet. And goes, tweet. she always says, oh, tweetable moment. In other words, grab that quote and... So they're taking like big things and making them smaller so that they can share it on social media. So they have continually. So you're instead of increasing your thought, you're reducing your thought 
You're taking this thought and you're reducing it to the smallest digestible piece, but it, it hasn't actually been thought about. So you're not doing any thought. And the idea that I was sharing with you, it seems like is the opposite, is to take what we talk about here and expand it, to go further with it, to understand it more. Sure. And I think that's a more interesting path, at least for my brain. And and I feel like if there's anything to be taken away from from that statement, it's that there's so many things you learn along the way in the in, in, in the discovery process. And I, I feel like that's that's kind of the the, the problem with, with social media for me in particular is that it feels like the reason I hate most trailers. Um, I feel like I've watched the damn movie already. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so, so it's all about endings and conclusions. It's never about the journey, the process or the discovery. Do you remember dark man, the movie dark man? Oh man. I've thought of that movie in forever, but yes, I do remember it. Do you remember the ad campaign for it? The, the trailer? I don't. It was one of the best trailers of all time. It was literally just him swinging past the screen and it said, Dark Man. <laughs> you had no idea what the hell the movie was about. <laughs> Nothing. They didn't steal parts from the movie so that you have to rewatch the scene again when you sit to watch the movie. Brilliant. And I mean, it wasn't that great of a movie, but they had a great opening weekend because of that trailer. Who the heck was Dark Man again? Was that Liam Neeson? I believe so, yeah. That was his original run as a tough guy, and then he got to be like not tough, and now he's a tough guy again, apparently. Yeah, it's weird how that worked out. Like Taken kind of just defined him as that for the rest of his career. Yeah. I don't know I don't know if that's gonna change anymore. Because I mean, to be honest with you, in my mind, all I think of when I think of Liam Neeson now is the tough guy. That's like Bruce Willis too, right? Bruce Willis started out as a comedian. And sure. now he's now he's revising yeah. um what the hell was that movie? Oh, Death Wish. You know, what I've found over the past week is this random um, pop culture stuff comes to my mind less readily because I'm, it's not being continually fed into my brain. So I literally have to, I have to go into hard storage <laughs> to find these things now. Yeah, break them out up. of your old filing cabinets. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many, how many people on this planet will, will remember that he started in moon, uh, with Moonlighting? Remember that show? I loved that show at the time. That I was, was a kid, but show. it's a fantastic show. But yeah, remember he also did. He was um, in "Look Who's Talking," mm-hmm. yep. um, "Blind Date," which yep. was a great, great comedy movie. Um, it was Pulp Fiction. You know, that's kind of that was a comedy. He wasn't really a tough guy in that. I mean, he kind of was, but he kind of wasn't. But it all started changing after that, and then I think it's the well, Die Hard. Not. Die Hard did it, dude. Die Hard was the one that defined him forever. What's well, the balder he got and the more Republican he got? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. It seems, you know, obviously, I have no idea. I've never met the dude, but it yeah. seems that way. Sure. And that's a mean some of those movies aren't good, but I have no desire to watch Death Wish because it just seems like a. I, I'm, I'm at the point where I, I hate looking at these movies where I'm like, if this was in real life, this person would be a sociopath. Sure. You know, like um, I was listening to something the other day and they're like, if this person, this character killed that many people, they'd be a sociopath. Oh, it was uh, Jason Bourne. <laughs> they said if Jason Bourne was a real person, he'd be a sociopath. <laughs> he well, kills I mean, like 140 would, people. Well, that's that's kind of the point of those movies. The one I have a bigger problem with and the reason why, the only re- my only real criticism actually um, about Man of Steel was that Superman would not have let half of Metropolis get destroyed and 140,000 people die. 
Right. There's no way that Superman would have done that. There's a, which is why when 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 people who know that I'm pretty nerdy about comic books asked me whether I liked Man of Steel or not, my classic response was, "It was a great movie about an alien. It just wasn't a Superman movie." I think that's why I liked it because classic Superman I can't stand. Oh, he's such a goody two shoes and so obnoxious. I agree. Yeah, he had that 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 version of Superman had an edge that was needed. And it wasn't like they were trying to make him edgy. He just, they put him in more complicated situations than Superman. The problem with Superman in the comics was it's not even that he was a goody two shoes, which I think is still a problem, but it's literally every choice he had to make was always really easy. Sure. It was always a black or white issue. Yeah. It was never any real moral dilemmas or, or any, 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 any crises of conscience. You know what I mean? Right. You know, like if you think about it, if you were Superman, like, Lamb, you woke up tomorrow and you're Superman. And then you turned on the news and you saw war all across the world. You're already in a moral conundrum. Do you stop sure. those things from happening? Which side do you stop? Which sure. side do you favor? How many wars do you stop? Do you stop all war? You know, at what point do you become a dictator if you do that? Like, those are all complex issues that a real person with that power would have. Well, I mean, the entire, um, so DC does an alternate universe called Injustice. Mm -hmm. And that's basically the premise of Injustice is Superman stops all war and becomes this crazy ass dictator. (laughs) Yeah, he basically becomes Ultron. Yeah, basically, yeah. And just flying around the world and and literally killing bad people. Um, And then at some point, the question becomes like, how bad is bad enough to be taken out by Superman? And, you know, all of those moral questions and dilemmas start entering the equation in the story. And it's a really interesting thought, you know, like at what, at what point are you judge, jury and executioner and what right do you have to, to, to hold that standard to anyone other than yourself? Well, it's something you see with governments too. You know, it's something that this country has trouble with all the time. Sure. Absolutely. You know, like um, Rwanda, do we go in? When do we go in? Sure. Afghanistan, do we go in? When do we go in? Iran or Iraq? When do we go in? Do we go in? You know, like all of these questions, South America, and we've made a lot of really bad ones. Sure. But we also, I think, have problems forgetting how difficult those questions are too. Yeah, and, and which is why I always have, have issues with armchair quarterbacks who sit back and say we should never be involved in war in any kind or any conflict outside of our own borders. Well, no, that's not true, dude. Like a, geo, a true understanding of, of geopolitics and the reasons how and why the United States has gotten involved in some cases, even, for example, if there is a monetary gain for the United States. Like, you know, if we're going into Iraq, for example, um, and the primary motivation is oil, but we're liberating Kuwait at the same time, I mean... The, the 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 morality is much more complicated than people like to make it. You know, it, are the ends, do the ends in that case justify the means because you're also freeing a bunch of people. Well, I you think know, a so, lot of people like to look back with that hindsight. Of, of course, and, and that's such bullshit. That is such bullshit because you don't get to do that in your own life. And we would we would inherently judge people for doing that in their own lives. I'm not saying you can't learn from your mistakes. That's not what I'm saying at all. You know, I'm, I'm saying though that, that there is, the issue is almost always more complicated than people like to make it. And that's, and that's the issue I have with it is that it's, it's none of these things are simple. None of these things are easy and way smarter people with the hell of a lot more skin in the game are usually 
contemplating these things in the moments in which they're doing them. Like I think about a guy like Obama, for example, right? And and and, and we think about the 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 choices that he had to make while he was in office. And he was a smart, thoughtful guy who understood geopolitics very well. And most of his choices were impossibly difficult choices. Right. That's that's why once again I always have problem when people are on the campaign trail. I will do this as president. Shut the fuck no, up. No, you won't. No, you won't. Just say you'll <laughs> say say you'll do the best you can and 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 tell us what you stand for. And that's got to be enough because promising to build a wall, for example, is is if you don't know where the hell the six point five billion dollars is coming from while you're running for office, then you can't promise that shit because you have hundreds of other people that have to clear that through the house and the senate before you can make a decision <laughs> right and i bet you i would put money right now that if there's one thing that that dude said on the campaign drill that he regrets it's the wall thing 100 percent, absolutely because he's like fuck i don't know if i can get this done yeah absolutely <laughs> Because and and that's exactly right. Like making promises on the campaign trail is, but but I I understand why people say that. I understand why the grandstanding is necessary. It's because you know these days politics is not about politics or truth or or fact or anything like that anymore. It's about marketing. You know, it's about how 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 precise of an image you can craft for a very specific audience. And if you can do that well enough, then you've got a pretty good chance of winning. It's got nothing to do with what you're capable of doing once you're in office. It has everything to do with how well you can sell what you're trying to do or, or sell to a certain group of people um, that are trying that are looking for a certain message. Well, what people don't realize is the reason that we had Obama and the reason we have Trump are be because of campaign trail promises. And I don't mean their campaign trail promises. I mean a history of people promising things, getting into office and not delivering it. Sure. So this grandstanding, like you said, it you know, decades and decades of grandstanding, people were like, I want something different. So they vote for the black guy who says change. It was like, number one, we've never had a black president. And number two, he says that he's going to change things. And then he gets in and he didn't change things. Things were kind of the same. And everybody that wanted that big change Remember that first year, everybody was so pissed off at him. The Democrats sure. had turned against him. Everybody turned against him because he didn't make drastic change. And so then we get Trump and everybody's like, he's going to change things. And then he gets in there and he doesn't change things either. Well, I think that the difficult thing to to understand about. Okay, so, so Trump, I'm going to get shot for saying this by somebody. <laughs> um, he's speaking but, metaphorically metaphorically um, for all the NSA listeners Trump and yeah um, so so Trump in my mind Trump and Obama although glaringly different policy wise mm, I'm, re- I'm rethinking this that's they not, were that's elected not, for the same reason let's say they that. were they were elected by different people for the same exact reason exactly they're they're in a way mirror images of each other absolutely Politically speaking. That that literal sentence that you just said right now was the reason why I thought someone would punch me in the face if they heard it. Because people who because people who are in either camp are very much in those camps. <laughs> well, let me let me remind you of something. People who would want to punch somebody for saying that. Number one, you're an asshole. Um, yeah, exactly. number two, uh, the angels and the devils are mirror images. So depending on what your what team you're on, you don't like the other side, do you? But that yeah, doesn't exactly. mean they're not mirror images. So, so, and I think that that's that's the the one thing that I take away from the the, the Obama discussion that we're that that we're talking about loosely here is that politics is very complicated and usually takes a hell of a long time to achieve anything. Like we're a slow moving machine that basically governs three hundred million people. 
you know, so nothing happens quickly and nothing happens over, nothing happens quickly or, or dramatically usually unless there's, there's some kind of catastrophic event that creates the need for it. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's what we want to understand. Yeah. Of course that's the way we want it. Cause otherwise it's fucking chaos. And I understand, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying for anybody's listening, I'm not saying that there aren't people suffering that need something done for them right now. The reason sure. you want the government to move slow is it also prevents really bad things from happening really fast. Yeah, because you want thoughtful people to come up with good solutions, not knee-jerk solutions to emotional reactions. You know, Every, Everything's got to be thoughtful, dude, because there's 350 million people who are going to be affected by it. And that's just in your own country. Usually the decisions that the United States makes affects many other countries on top of that. Right. Like everybody's, you know, there's a lot of people that are really mad that, you know, like this, this um, investigation of Trump is taking so long. I hate to tell you, it has to take that long because you don't want an impeachment. I'm not saying he's going to be impeached. We don't know. But you don't want somebody, a president, impeached fast. For, sure. for anybody that doesn't agree with that, let's go back to Clinton. If it had happened fast, he wouldn't have been president anymore. And so you know, if you're on the left, you would have lost then with the same ideology. Holy crap, man. I, I, I was raging against some of my own liberal friends for saying this. And I'm, a, I'm inherently a liberal. So, I mean, this is, this is not. So, people gave Dianne Feinstein a lot of shit for saying that impeachment is something you want as a last resort and something that you want to do thoughtfully and carefully, because if you don't, it sets a horrifying precedent. Right. And I completely agree with her because the only, the only reason why people want to impeach Trump so fast is because they disagree with him, not because it's the, the, the right process by which to go through it. Well, let's not forget that the impeachment process, number one, we've, we've never actually gone through the impeachment process. Yeah. well, um, maybe maybe back in the day. I can't remember. Actually, I should clarify for anybody who doesn't know this. Impeachment is not the final result. Impeachment is the investigation. That's called impeachment. So Bill Clinton was impeached. He just was not removed from office through impeachment. Impeachment is the process where you're, you're questioning the president, basically, taken down to like the most basic terms. But the problem is, if you actually do impeach a president, you don't even realize what that's going to do to disenfranchise voters. We already have low voter turnout. So you take, sure, people are thinking, like, I don't care. Let, let all these people who voted for Trump be disenfranchised. No, that's, that's crazy talk. But you, you don't want, I mean, think about this. Like if I, don't want to, the, I, don't want, I don't want to live in a country that's indifferent to people's opinions like that. How would people have felt if, um, you know, they vote Obama in for change because they're tired of the broken system and then the right managed to impeach Obama? How would they feel about voting? Guess what? They probably wouldn't go to the polls the next time. Sure. So it's, it's even though, sure, it's the opposite team that's going to be hurt by it, you'll be hurt by eventually too, because that same feeling will eventually spread to your side because it doesn't stay isolated. So you're hurting the country as a whole. So she's absolutely right. You want that to be a last resort because it's dangerous to democracy. It's that's a horrifying precedent. And if we're talking about anything in the long run, I mean, um, head of the, the, was it a, is this, is he a senator Senator Cummings um, of the House um, Oversight Committee that's handling the Cohen case said that it said one of the most insightful things about that you know this, this is about our children this is about 
the the act of 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 doing something that defines what democracy will be for their generation. It's not necessarily for us. Um, and he said all of this in his closing statements for for the the, the Cohen trial, and it was it was such an impassioned and powerful thing. Like he kept saying over and over again, we can be better. We need to be better because we are better than this. And we're not proving that right now. You know, yeah, we're, we're, we're both sides are like, um, if I'm going to generalize both sides right now are like children in a fight. Oh, it's so horrifying. They're throwing sand in each other's eyes where it's like, come on, come on. Like we still got to go back into class. Everybody's break it up, break it up. Yeah, and that's easy. That's my biggest problem with all of this is that, um, and even among even among the parties themselves, whether you're Republican or, or Democrat, the infighting is so horrifying to me. It's it's just all you can't be liberal enough, and you can't be conservative enough, right? And no one and no one can talk to anyone, and it's just a quagmire of bullshit. What people don't realize is that same thing that I was talking about that impeachment does, where it disenfranchises voters. So does this infighting. Sure, of course it does. I'll never vote oh, yeah. for I, either I, party ever again. Dude, I'm one of the most hopeful people in the world, and I'm so cynical about both parties at this point. I'll never vote and, Republican or Democrat ever again. And I don't know about that. I, I, I'm too. I'm. I mean, you know, you know what I'm involved in. So I mean, I'm too involved in the political process. I think I will, um, but I definitely have a very different lens of it now for many reasons. Um, you know, a lot of the infighting stuff that I'm talking about, for example, is is not just me observing this from the outside looking in. Like, I'm involved in the political process, so I see a lot of this bullshit firsthand, and it's really tough to watch. Ah, well, let's talk about something cheerier. Yay! <laughs> hey, actually, let's go back to the phone thing for a second. Um, two things. Okay. First of all, I still have a follow-up. Have you played Oxenfree yet? I have not. I've downloaded it. So, so I, I don't know... I think I did tell you, and we've kind of mentioned it a little bit in text message, but I had to do the quickest move of all time. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm not moving far. I'm moving a room. Um, but I'm also like my, the, the roommate that's moving out of my room um, had to leave very abruptly. And so because of that, he had to leave a bunch of his crap. So I had to move out a bunch of his stuff and move in a bunch of mine. And Crystal's also been very busy. So I've literally had to do most of it myself. Um, including, by the way, completely dismantling a bed with my bare hands with no tools because no tools would fit in the screw hole. So I literally was breaking wood um, and then having to, to haul it. And it's, it. So I haven't, unfortunately, I haven't played it. I really All want right. to, but I haven't played it. We'll leave it on the list. Damn it. Sorry. No, it's okay. That's why they're on the list. But I will um, say I, I love my new space. So yeah, there's there's that. Two interesting things that have happened to me recently when it, with this... Um, I think we're going to coin a term, de-devicing. How's that? <laughs> I and like it. Um, I found myself going places and leaving my phone. <laughs> and just really? no watch, no phone, like no communication device at all. Just, you know, whether it's taking the dog for, you know, like 45-minute walk or whatever. And it's like thinking about it where I'm like, do I actually need my phone to walk a dog? No. So I just left it. Or going to the coffee shop. Like, do I need it? No. I'll just bring this credit card and it's wonderful. I don't, I, and that's another thing too, um, in the de-devicing process, this is one that I didn't think would happen, but I've been, I've, I haven't, I don't think I've put my AirPods in, in like four or five days. Oh, interesting. Well, I, when I walk now, I don't listen to things anymore. Um, because I found like this wonderful, wonderful emotional clarity that comes from walking without input. 
um, when, well, if I'm not walking somewhere, I don't really have a need for headphones, right? You know, like, other than like recording right now, but I'm not using AirPods for that. I have to use, you know, wired studio headphones for this. Sure. So I have very little need for headphones in my life. And that's interesting because I really, really like AirPods. Yeah, I was um, going to say, like, you were you were such a huge fan of those things. Of all my Apple devices, I would say that's the one that I like the most. Sure. Um, and then probably the one I use the most is, of course, the computer itself. Because Got of it. um, But so those those two things. And then interestingly, um, I've been still... I still haven't put on my Apple Watch. Um, I've been trying to decide what I what I think about that. I, I set it up to where I wouldn't get notifications and all these things, and then I got to a certain point where I was like, "What's the What's the point? <laughs> like, well, if I'm turning all this stuff off, like, why 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 even have it?" Um, so I, I found myself a few times on Amazon looking at analog watches. <laughs> But here's a weird thing. Let's see how let's let's walk this through mentally together. Um, so, what do you wear on a typical day, um, as far as um, watch or non-watch? Oh man! So up until January, I don't know the first week of January, I was wearing an Apple Watch essentially every day, um, mostly because I didn't want to look at my phone um, as often, but. That's that's stupid because I'm looking at it just as often. I'm just looking at a different device. Yeah. Um, so pretty much after that first week of January, I kind of rebelled against myself and said, fuck this watch. And I put it in a drawer. didn't even charge it. And I haven't worn it ever since. Um, do, you, do you wear another watch though? Prior to the Apple Watch, yes. I wore a watch every day. But since then, I haven't worn any watches at all. Okay, so then maybe you can... I have a logical, a logical train of thought here. But um, there's also well, I'll be, well, I'll be the judge of that. There's also a trepidation, um, which I think is unnatural because of the logical train of thought. But when I found myself going through and looking at watches, I found um, I found some great watches. Um, there's some really affordable watches. Like Citizen makes these great watches called Eco Drive. Oh yeah, charge, I've seen those. Yeah, they charge themselves, so you don't even have to worry about batteries in it. So basically. It's like the opposite of the Apple Watch, which you have to charge every day. This is the thing you have to charge like every six months. Um, and oh, you don't even have to do that. I mean, if you're think if you got the one I'm thinking of, um, then it's it's charged by kinetic motion. Uh, no, it's charged. This is actually charged by um, sun. Oh, okay. Or actually, not sun. Light of any source, any source of light. Um, so it would die in six months in a drawer. Uh, but if you took it out and wore it in a normal day and walked around your house, it would never die. Uh, unless it broke, of course. So it's actually better than kinetic energy. Um, but great, fantastic watch, really basic, simple, like military style watch. Um, hundred bucks. Pretty awesome. Sure. Yeah. I was like, nice. That one looks cool. And then I had this as the conundrum. I was, I had this realization where I was like, Oh, there's one thing that the Apple watch does that actually, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I had to actually, remind myself how I dealt with it before the Apple watch and that's um, notifications for like alarms and calendar things. You're like, Oh, you have to be somewhere in an hour. Oh, that's right. And I had to remind myself, I did that with my phone before, but then I was like, well, what if I leave my phone behind 
And I was like, oh, I actually have to keep track of my own time. Huh. I, have, I have to remember, I have to be somewhere at three, so I need to know what time. And that was a really weird realization where I was like, oh, these devices make me less present. They tell me what time it is, but I'm completely unaware of what time it is in my sure. mind. Have you noticed that since going watchless? Or, do you, or are you just looking at your phone a lot for that stuff? I am looking at my phone a lot. Um, I feel like I, I and it's a game I play with myself. It sounds a little strange, but um, I basically have a pretty good internal clock. And uh, I've been trying to make it so that I literally look at my phone once an hour. Um, so, so I, I've, I've, I've usually about two or three minutes off in one direction or the other. See, I'm very, that's funny. I think I'm very lucky. I have um, a terrible internal clock. Um, mm. I have no idea what time it is ever without looking. Um, you know, I'm one of those people who's like, what time is it? I used to say this all the time. People would say, what time is it? I'd look up and I go, daytime. <laughs> I think I, I stole that from a movie. I'm I'm super the opposite of that. I, so I have a almost a pigeon-like sense of direction and a very good sense of time. I don't know why that is. Yeah, I have the compass in my head directional skills, but not the clock, which I'm glad. I don't I don't I don't want to know what time it is ever <laughs> unless I have to. Mm. Um so I don't know. I don't know if I'm there's also the whole thing of like should I buy a watch for $100? <laughs> and what if I buy that watch for $100 and then after, you know, like 3 days go eh. <laughs> you know, like you don't know how permanent the choice that you're making. So, it's, you know, $100 is not a shitload of money, but it is a lot of money to waste. Sure. Um, not that buying a watch is a waste, but it is if you don't end up wearing the watch. Sure, absolutely. So I've been bouncing around with that one. That's that's my current one of my current. Um, well, well, maybe maybe the the way to offset that in your own mind is um, it doesn't even have to be expensive, but get something you really really want to look at. Yeah, that's true. Like I used to, I used to buy watches from this company called Nuka, um, and they were really coolly designed watches that didn't have like this your typical hands or digital digital display or anything like that. Like there was like weird beeps and buttons and flashes and stuff and it was just an entertaining experience and cool to look at you know oh that's that's the other thing too i'm only looking at analog watches ah i see no digital displays so i feel like that's just supplanting one digital device with another one you know if i have this 300 dollars device that has a digital display i feel kind of stupid to go spend a hundred dollars or even thirty dollars for the really cheap ones for another another digital device to put on my wrist. Sure, sure, to be its purpose. I will say though that there's there's a happy compromise in there. Like part of the reason why um, digital devices, um, watches in particular, become a nuisance if they're digital is because you're literally replacing it with the same thing, just a smaller version of it. But if you if you go for like a like a pseudo digital or a pseudo analog, I, I know that sounds weird, but at some point maybe you can even go while we're we're on this episode. Uh, go to TokyoFlash.com. And you're going to see some some weird ass looking watches. Wow! Well, these are some crazy fucking watches. <laughs> Holy God! Anybody that's listening should go look at these watches. Wow! Exactly. See, see what I mean? This is this is what I'm talking about. Like, 
they, they're sometimes they're just fun to look at. Like I almost feel like I could play like Plinko on one of my my old Nuka watches. I used to have a bunch of those things, and they were fun. Those would drive me nuts. <laughs> well, not only not only you know even despite the distracting nature of it for me, also I really 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 hate. And it just sounds strange. I really hate wearing something that everybody wants to talk about. Hey, what's that? What's that? Sure. Interesting watch. Where'd you get it from? I'm like, oh, this is not the conversation I want to have. <laughs> that makes me sound like a like a complete fuddy-duddy, but I hate that. I have a shirt that I wear every time and everybody goes, I love that shirt. And it usually ends there, but there are a few times where it's led to like pseudo conversations. And I hate that. Well, it's it's almost like people who have affectations just for the sake of it, right? And and you don't want to be defined by those things any more than than, like for example, like someone who's looking at you wearing like a four foot long scarf is looking at you for your scarf and not who you are, right? Well, I used to like to stand out. Now I just want to be invisible. Well, I definitely, you know, it's it's a conversation that I had about some of the political stuff. Like I've been told by many of my political friends that. Um, you know, I should run for office, I should run for state assembly, whatever it may be. And my response to them always is, where do you think I'm more dangerous, visibly or invisibly? Uh, you know, because obviously, if I'm not in the the, the, the the public eye, then I have the ability to move between groups, talk to anyone I choose, and not be beholden to anyone. Yeah, that's straight out of um, Robert Greene's, what is it, 48 Laws of Power? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I haven't seen that in a long time. It's easier to be the guy behind the guy, or it's better to be the guy behind the guy? Oh, it's, be- it's totally better to be the guy. I mean, think about Dick Cheney, which, by the way, if you haven't seen that 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 Christian Bale performance, um, I've only seen about 20, 20-some-odd minutes of the movie. You would never, ever, ever know that it was Christian Bale. How do you continually catch parts of movies? Um, I, haven't, I haven't seen part of a movie since I stopped watching cable. You know, you know why? There's a very specific reason why. Um, because I do them in between conference calls, like at work when I'm waiting for uh, meetings. I'll just pop it on like Amazon Prime or something like that. So I'll catch like 20 minutes at the beginning of a movie or like I'll catch half an episode of, of, of a show or something like that. See, that would drive me nuts. I always have to go back and I've never not finished something. A book, a movie, I always go back and finish it. I have to. Because how many movies, like, here's a great example. And probably no one's watched this movie. Um, it's called Brown Bunny. Um, it was with, uh, what's that guy's name? Vincent Gallo. Um, I think he directed oh, it. He yeah, also yeah. stars in it. And Chloe Sevigny. And it was notorious at the time because he, she gives, they used to date. Um, she gives him a real blowjob in the movie. And that's really? what it was famous for. And that movie for the first, well, I think it's, I think I'll say it's an hour and 40 minutes long. I could be wrong, but we'll say it's an hour and 40 minutes long. That movie is boring for an hour and 30 minutes. <laughs> but the last 10 minutes for me were so redemptive and so good that all of a sudden I understood all the boring parts that I was like, I liked that movie. But if I hadn't finished the movie, I would have been telling people it was an awful movie. So I mean, it's like me reading Don Quixote, even though I hated it. Ugh. Um, I will say the, the the best version of that that I have in my head is uh, Lost Highway. God, there, God, there are parts of that movie are so fucking painfully slow. 
And then there's and then there's some badass moment that happens. You're like, yep, that's why I'm watching this. It's like most Jim Jarmusch movies too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, You're like, well, this is a really boring part. <laughs> yeah, versus the opposite of that, where like they're they're. I can't watch Godard all the time just because I feel panicked. Yeah, Godard's difficult. Like it's, thing, it's just constantly moving. <laughs> the only one I can really watch over and over again is Alphaville. Almost everything else he made, I haven't seen more than once. I'm like, nah, that's good enough. I saw it. Gotcha. Like I feel like, I feel like that balance of pacing um, and, and with, with moments of stillness. I, honestly, I think the only real director that I, I see do it as well as he does consistently is... Um, Ooh, there's two actually, and two very different directors. One is David Fincher, right. um, and the other is uh, Wes Anderson. Mm, wait, does what exactly the pacing? Yeah, there's there's a consistent like they know how to they know how to use quiet and stillness in such a way that mm. still moves things forward. Like yeah, I think about I think about how atmospheric and terrifying um, Seven was. And right. I and in the in those moments, I realize how little is actually going on in that movie. You know, it's interesting is um, you bring up David Fincher. I just um, a guy. Do you know Up and Vanished? Are you familiar with that podcast, Up and Vanished? No. So Up and Vanished was this podcast. Um, it might still be active. I'm not sure. That uh, basically was about this disappearance of this girl in I can't remember where. So I'm not going to guess somewhere in the South, this girl that disappeared. And he started this guy. It was, I don't even think he was a podcaster before he was something else before. Um, I think like a video or something like that. So anyways, he goes down and starts doing this like investigative podcast and they start getting breaks in the case and they end up finding, he doesn't, but because of what he does, the police end up finding the person that killed this girl. What? Um, it's 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 pretty fan. It's 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 other than serial. I would say it's probably one of the most um, famous, or was one of the most famous crime podcasts. Well, anyways, because of that, this guy's obviously his career is blown up. Um, he started doing other shows, um, and one of the shows that he did last season was in partnership with How Stuff Works, and it was Atlanta Monster, and they did a whole season about Wayne Williams, um, the Atlanta child murder, or supposed Atlanta child murder this season. I just found this out yesterday, this season of, and it's now the show is now called monster because it's not about Atlanta monster anymore is about the Zodiac killer. Oh, interesting. And what's really interesting is there's a researcher in the, the most recent episode, which I think was episode 11, um, where this researcher is talking about how everything in the Zodiac um, timeline as far as um, pop culture, as far as knowledge, even the case itself has all followed Robert Grace Smith's book, Zodiac. Everybody always believed that it was Arthur Lee Allen. It's, it's solid theory. And this guy goes through and he says, he's like, there are so many inconsistencies and problems with the Grace Smith book that it's no wonder that the investigation never went anywhere because they were down the wrong road forever. He says, he's like, <laughs> Arthur Lee Allen was not the Zodiac killer because most of the reason that they believe that Arthur Lee Allen was a Zodiac killer was because of, I can't remember the guy's first name, but this guy that used to be his friend named Cheney. And Cheney told him, you know, that uh, Arthur had told him he was going to um, 
he was going to hunt down young couples and that he was going to do it under the name Zodiac and he was going to use this symbol and he showed him this watch that had the symbol on it. And what's come to light after that is the timeline is completely wrong. That he says Arthur Lee Allen told him that before the killings. But Arthur Lee Allen told him that after the killings. Because mm. one of the other part of the conversations was that he had just lost his job and Arthur Lee Allen didn't lose that job till after the killings. Interesting. So, like, so it's gone down this wrong, wrong rabbit hole. Um, kind of like me right now because I can't remember why I started telling you this. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not as bad as forgetting what I'm talking about as Alex Jones was this week on Joe Rogan. Oh, oh my God. That, that is a man cool. who is mentally insane. Um, man, he's, he was like a ping pong ball. That was hard to listen to. Yeah, and you know what? Eddie Bravo's an idiot too. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> oh, my God. He really, he's a real flat earther. Holy shit. I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I will tell you now that I've always thought he was a huge idiot, but I mean, I, I mean, I, he's probably I, a nice I, person, but yeah, I, I honestly have a hard time criticizing people on this show or in, in, on any other show because it feels like I only want to say things like this to people when they have the, the ability to defend themselves. Right. And um, Alex Jones sounded mentally ill, but you know what? Also, Joe's right. I did get a glimpse where I'm like, oh, but he's, he seems like he'd actually be a nice person in, sure. real, in real life. You know, I mean, he's crazy. Yeah, still wackadoodle. Yeah. But he's not a dick, <laughs> which is like this. And I did find a lot of that narrative about the censorship and um, how everybody turned against him and made him that. I'm not sure how much of that's true, but I did find that I believe <laughs> some of that. I believe some of that because I've seen them do that to other people. Well, I was having a conversation with. Um, so, man, I've got to tell you this offline. I can't, I'm not officially allowed to reveal a certain thing yet but i will tell you that this week um, i spoke to someone who's actually spoken to steve bannon mm-hmm. and said that he was actually a pretty articulate reasonably nice guy who was pretty generous and and i and i really want to think of him as the prince of darkness you know i want to think of him as as like satan incarnate but apparently he's a nice dude and 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 i mean don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not for a second saying that that makes any of what he he thinks or believes to be okay, but um, it, in that moment, it's hard to tell. Well, you know what's interesting too is like, for example, take this back a decade or so, Glenn Beck, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, we would have been saying the exact same things about him then. I've heard him interviewed on Tim Ferriss. I've heard him interviewed on I think it was Big Questions with Cal Fussman, and maybe one other one. And every single one of them, I was like, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, sure. Like even in, like in one of them, the most recent one, he's like, he, he took responsibility for some of the outrage culture. He's like, I fed into this. He's like, that's not what I wanted. And apparently that's what his, new, his newest book is about, about trying to bring both sides back together. Interesting. It just, it goes to show what I think we talk about a lot is what you see out there is not what's reality. We're, we're seeing it through this fragmented lens, not just social media, but an outrage culture itself, and even through the monetization system inherent in all news media. Yeah, sure. So we're, we're seeing these images of these people we don't know. You know, somebody said this to me once about George Bush. They said, you know, that George Bush, they said, um, George W. Bush, that is, said, Everything he did when he was in office, he thought was the right thing. 
He sure. didn't do it thinking he was doing the wrong thing. And it's hard to call somebody, you know, like the, the epitome of all evil when they think they're doing something good. Because in order to be the epitome of all evil, you have to do something knowing it's bad. Well, you actually want to actually hurt people, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like what we're talking about with war. You get into a war, if you're Hitler, you're bad. Why? Because your purpose... Can you hear that? Yeah, what the hell? That's Siri telling me who Adolf Hitler was. Wow. I didn't say her name. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> totally distracted me. But so um, he's, he's evil. Why? Because his point was to dominate, was to hurt, and to murder people. He didn't think what he was doing was good. He thought what he was doing was right, which is very different. Sure. He was self-justified. Same with Pol Pot and Stalin. So, I mean, when you look at those people and then you compare people like Steve Bannon and um, Alex Jones and uh, Glenn Beck like, and George Bush, like, yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with the stuff that they're saying. Um, I say necessarily because I don't even know what most of the things they say are because I don't sure. pay attention to them. But it doesn't mean they're bad human beings. And, and it feels it, weird that we, we we defend the right so much on the show. <laughs> sure, I, and it, it's there's there's a stark irony in that. If anybody knew what my what most of my life was these days, um, so here's here's the funny part, right? Like I, I work in politics quite a bit, and I've met politicians on both sides, and and in some cases, some pretty high politicians. Like I've met you know senators, I've met. Um, um, governors and, and, you know, I met Jerry Brown last week or two weeks ago. Um, and the, the consistent thing that you always find is that no one who is getting into politics ever does it because they want to do bad ever. It, in fact, the opposite is true. Every one of them wants to do as, as good by their people as possible. And sure. It, it's, it's, it's always tougher than you think. I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the conversations I had with a mayor, um, he, he said, you know, it's, no one can ever prepare you for it. Um, regardless of how many conversations you have, uh, you can even speak to a president about being a mayor and he still couldn't prepare you properly for it. Because the job is, is so many different things and it goes in so many different directions as you start to do it that whoever you thought you were going to be going into it is a completely different person within you know, 30, 50, a hundred days of you starting the job, you're a completely different person because you're having to wrangle so many different tools that you've never, ever used before into a very specific environment with very specific tasks in mind with a bunch of people who are also trying to do the same thing. Mm. And you're, you're operating off so many assumptions too, right? Sure. Because, so you're 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 leveraging these tools, but then, for example, um, the choices you have to make aren't. We know they're not clear. They're never clear. If they were clear, everything would be perfect and sunny and roses. But there's also you have to question when you get information. How do you know it's right? How do you know it's true? And you know you have to. You know if you're the president of the United States and you're getting information from an intelligence community, how do you know if they're right? You know, the George Bush had that problem. Weapons of mass destruction. Remember that? Oh, guess yep. what? There weren't any. And, and how do you he know? He trusted it. Why? Because well, that's his job. 
Well, not only that, but I mean, everyone who gets into politics, right? I mean, one of the defining characteristics of politicians is that they have to have some level of, of, of political subjectivity because they're working for, at least they're supposed to be working for um, their constituents. But, you know, everybody's got an agenda and very few people are actually seeing situations and circumstances um, in that regard objectively. And I think the objectivity in, in many cases is what's missing from current politics, for example, you know, is that it's, 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 there's too much agenda and too little open-mindedness about what a better solution would be. Like, I don't think Democrats or Republicans have realized at this point that they're both fucking wrong and they're both fucking right. You know, I've been wondering for the longest time, um, well, I shouldn't say for the longest time, for the longest time recently, what happened to the non-socialist left? Hmm. Why is everything on the left slanted towards socialism now? There used to well, be a split. What well, happened let's, to let's, the non-socialist left? Let's let's take a let's take a little bit more of a look at that. How many people on the left, even or actually, not even just on the left, how many people in general, um, for either party, understand what socialism really is? Yeah, nobody, nobody even no, understands the difference between socialism <laughs> and communism. Of course. Sometimes I, I think I do, and then at a certain point, I I, I read something, I'm like, whoop, I didn't know that. Okay, guess I don't know either. <laughs> yeah, and so and so that's that's my biggest problem with the argument of whether the the left is even socialist or not socialist is because I, sure there there are degrees of severity and I think that the degrees are very important because you know there are plenty of socialist programs in the United States that people absolutely love and don't complain about. It's just when they have to fork out money for things that they don't that don't directly benefit them that they have a big problem with that. And that's that's at least on the surface, my problem with America as a country now um, and, and what makes it different from how it's been in the past is that at some point we didn't care about what we, us doing something that, that would help other people. And now we, we feel like we have to financially justify that. And don't get me wrong, I understand that because our economy is in a tough spot and a lot of people are not making enough money to, to basically support their cost of living, I get why um, we're we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's fiscally in order to make sure that we're we're taken care of. But by that same token, a society grows great when a man plants a tree whose shade he knows he'll never sit in. And I think that there's something very telling about that statement, something telling about that sentence that defines what America as a country has always wanted to be and has been in spurts, but but has problems maintaining. The problem also is it's not just that there are people in bad economic situations. It's that we basically are owned in debt to China. Oh, you know, yeah. Our, right. our national deficit is is so enormous, and most oh, of the people that we owe are in China. And and when when you have AI coming up, that's going to completely redefine huge sectors of of the job market with no discernible place for those people to go um, to work, you have to wonder how that's going to affect the economy when we have that debt as well. It's going, to, like, devast- it's going to devastate and it's coming really fast too, by the way. Yeah, if we, if we, if we stumble, if, we, if the economy stumbles and it, and it falls down and, we, have, and we, we go into a depression, we may never ever come out of it. Because the fact is this time if we go into a depression, we can't inflate the bubble like we did in the Clinton administration and, and every administration afterwards where we artificially inflated the bubble, 
we could get away with those things, but now we can't because this time when we do it, we'll devalue the dollar. And if we devalue the dollar, guess what? Now the whole economy falls and it's terrifying. So I understand like why there are so many people on the right freaking out about fiscal stuff. I did not understand this six months ago. Sure. I've, I've been working really hard to understand economics because I never have. And it is terrifying because guess what? All the people that want to do social programs and stuff, if the country's broke, there's not going to be any social programs. Sure. We, if the, you know, the first thing that's going to get cut is social security. Of course. Because a huge, huge, over 50% portion of the national debt is because of social security, because of the boomer generation being so much larger than the generation that paid in. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the tough conversation to have too, right? Like, I mean, most of my friends who are, are pretty far left thing, I mean, and, and, and this is, it's tough for me to even say things like this too, because there's a very strong part of me that believes that social programs and an and inherent um, strength in the country fiscally enough to be able to support its citizens um, is is such a fantastic idea, but there's there's a there's a fiscally conservative side of me that always asks the very important question of how the fuck are we going to pay for this? Well, there's a realist side of me that says, sure, I want to be able to send people to college for free. Sure, but if we do that and the economy crashes, now mentally handicapped people aren't taken care of. Now the elderly aren't taken care of. All these people that were already helping, we fuck. And that's the problem I have with it because I'm like, I want those people to continue to receive the help that they're getting. But if we destroy the system to help somebody else, everybody fails. Everybody falls. Nobody goes to college. But then there's, but then there's the step back you have to take from that too. Right. And, and, and the understanding of, of not just what programs get support and what programs get funded, but what that funding looks like and who's in charge of it. Because I I always give the example of um, universal healthcare as as my way of defining this, which is universal healthcare would be a much easier discussion if the healthcare industry itself wasn't a giant mess that is horribly mismanaged from the very, very top to the very, very bottom. So it costs 10 times more than it should. And now the question of whether we should or should not is not the right question. It's the right question is how the hell do we fix this so we can support it? And I think that that's part of the issue with with thinking about all of these programs, like, you know, for example, making community college free. Okay, why is it not free? And what is it that we need to do so that we can support it? Not whether we should or should not. Of course, in a society that's evolving, we should. There's no question about that. There's literally no question of that. We should also have free healthcare for everybody. There is no question about that. But there's no fucking way that that's fiscally possible with the systems as they are now. Right. And that's what pisses me off about people like Cortez. Um, they, they think that there's two solutions to that. Print money, which, by the way, devalues the dollar and crashes the economy. Or tax the rich more. Okay, fine. Maybe the, maybe the rich, you, you, we can all agree maybe. That uh, sure, the the rich will pay a little bit more. Um, there's only so much money that they have, and they don't have enough money to pay for all the shit that you guys want to do. Well, I mean, it, it's so a who do you tax pro- next? It's a bigger problem than that, right? I mean, it's not about who pays what; it's about who's not paying what. Um, and I think that, at least in my mind, a lot of this comes back to Citizens United and and defining. Um, corporations as individuals and giving them the same rights as individuals, that changed the game. And that changed the game forever. And that defined 
on so many levels what a corporation could do to protect itself both politically and financially uh, within the scope of the economy. And that's a huge crushing part of not only the economy itself, but our political process. And, and so I think, for example, like the reason why I, I, I'm going to give Cortez time in my mind is because I, I, I think about who I was at her age. And I think about what I thought I understood about government and economies at her age and foreign policy and fiscal policy and all that kind of stuff, right? I, I, I thought I knew it. I, I, you know, I'd gone to school for it. I mean, I studied political science and all that kind of stuff. So I thought I had some idea. Um, and then I started working with assembly members and senators and mayors and stuff like that. And I really got to see the nuts and bolts, the infrastructure by which the political systems and, and, and our social programs and our infrastructure is built upon. And I now see that with her, I would rather have her energy and her passion and have her learn on the job than to not have her energy and her passion and have someone else's agenda with a mouthpiece that looks like her. I have to question, though, whether she will learn because she has no motivation to. Oh, she will. Oh, absolutely. Every I time will, that I, she says yeah, something like what I said, she gets all of the cheers and everybody supports her for being wrong. Like the whole, that whole Amazon thing was the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. Let me tell you something about the Democratic Party having worked on the inside of it, right? They will turn on you quick. <laughs> so at some point, she's going to cost not looking at she's the- gonna, Well, she's going to cost someone money, and she's going to hurt someone's political career, and then it's going to change. I don't think so, because it, I'm not, that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about her Twitter followers and no. all, of her, all of her fans. And number, I don't know this woman. I'm not criticizing. I'm just criticizing political ideas here that bother me. It's, it's this blindness. You know, there are other people who have been in politics longer than her that should know better that think the same things. And this is somebody, sure. one of the people I'm talking about is someone I considered voting for at one point. And the, the problem is, is there's so, it's the same problem I see with parts of the far right. Not parts of the far right, all of the far right is it's all short-sighted. You want to you want to make this solution. You think you're you know doing like what you said, planting a tree. No, you're not. You're burning the house down, so that you can have a place to put a put a, a seed into the dirt. And that's the problem they don't realize is because they're only looking at you know like oh this this we're going to get this done and then it'll it'll continue forever. But what if it breaks everything else? Then you fuck everyone. And that's probably that's a but, problem but, I have. But you see that the the, the, the at least because I, I, because of where I am politically, I've tried to distill as many of these things down to their, their cores as possible just so I could get a better grasp of them. Like how and why would a person on, on the far right be motivated to do a specific thing or push a certain policy? And, and you're right, they're all short-sighted. And, and that short-sightedness is a very, very clear indicator to me that most of those people are just trying to hold on to their wealth. That's In it. In their office. It's very simple. And, and this is part of the reason why I consistently say that if you need a political office, then you probably shouldn't have one. You should do it because it's a choice and you want to serve the public, not because you need the, the, the validation from it for yourself. You know, and that's, that's, that's the worst thing you could be as a politician is to need your office, is to need to be reelected more than you need to be a public servant. And that's the reason why I supported certain people in politics, like Andrew Jans, for example, down um, – in Fresno when he was he was up against Devin Nunes is because he didn't care if he had a second term. He didn't give a shit. 
He just wanted to do as much good as he could. And it's part of the reason why he almost won, even though Devin Nunes dramatically outspent him and had such a long legacy in Fresno. He almost got his ass kicked by a guy who came relatively out of nowhere because it was very clear throughout the course of his campaign that it wasn't about being elected. It was about doing good, and he didn't give a shit whether or not he got elected, he got reelected. But that's rare in politics these days. And, 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 telling, and that's tough to... to, to stomach from people who who I even like politically. There are politicians that I currently work with who need their offices and it irks me every time. Like it irks me every time I see them doing something to protect their public image or to worry about uh, an action that they have to take with a certain person because it may hurt them politically later. I, who fucking cares? Do the right thing and do it all the time. And I suppose it's easy for me to say because I'm not trying to get reelected or I'm not trying to get elected in the first place, but I still hold true to the idea that without holding on to some guiding principle, without holding on to some inherent desire to serve the public good, you're, 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 you're a useless politician. But here's the thing that bothers me about the taxation of the rich thing. The rich are the people that make jobs, right? The rest of us be, are able to go to work and we're able to pay our bills because somebody has more money than us. And they're able to do that because somebody has more money than them. And they're able to do that because somebody has more money than them. Well, if you start knocking out rows of those people, you start eliminating jobs. So you fuck all of us. And it's it's not something I'd ever thought that I would be defending, but it's it's completely, it, it makes sense. You know, like the whole Amazon New York thing, like everybody said, oh, we, you know, the people united to turn against one of the biggest companies in the world. That's great. You guys fucked yourselves because now New York doesn't get those jobs. So all of you people that, that all the people who were needing jobs now don't get them. It doesn't hurt Amazon. They're just going to go to another state and that state's going to get jobs. So what sure. the fuck did you accomplish? It's, 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 it's populism on the left. Yeah. and It's, it's the same just, fucking it's, it's thing. Not, it's not just the populism. It's, it's, I mean, it's the reason why we're we're in such trouble as a country, right? There is zero pragmatism here on either side. And I'm not blaming the left or the right. Um, like, for example, one of the guys I'm currently working with, even though I'm, I'm mostly liberal in, in, in my ideals, is a Republican. And the reason I'm working with him is because he's, he's, he's a moderate. And he wants to sit down at a table with people from all parties and figure the shit out because that's the only way we're ever going to get anything done. Absolutely. I mean, Amazon is such a great example of how, how a trendy political movement can fuck over a group of people that are part of that trend. Right. Well, it's, there's no logic to it. When we, when, especially when it comes to economics, people don't seem to get it. You know, it's like if you t- say you tax the rich at 90%. So now that person's making the same as the person below them that works below them. Why would they do the extra work? Why wouldn't they just be at that level? Like if I, the economics of it is is something that you can debate, right? Because you're talking about human nature at some point when it comes to. I mean, there's a reason why communism failed. Um, communism failed as as a political system and an economic system because there's no incentive for anyone to to push beyond their station in life. Right. Well, I tell you right now, if you said. Um, Chad, I'm going to pay you $20 an hour, and but I want you to clean this house two times a week. And then I'm going to pay 
Um, I'm going to pay your friend over here. I'm going to pay him $10 an hour. And I want him to just clean once a week. But he's not going to be taxed. And I'm going to tax you at 50%. Think about that. So wait a minute. I have to clean twice a week, but I only get to home, take home $10. He has to clean once a week, and he takes home $10. Fuck that. Well, defining, defining the, the – I mean, that's, that's a pretty simplistic way to put it. Um, it's that simple, though. We're talking about math. Yeah, I suppose. But I, I definitely do feel like there is I, – now, now, don't get me wrong. I don't feel like, like – I don't agree with taxing the rich the same way that a lot of the left does. Um, here's, here, so, so now it's a systemic thing again um, in my mind. It's not about taxing the rich. It's about not making the, the playing field level enough so that people who don't make that much money can make more. You know what I mean? Like, and, and this goes back to my, my, the, one of the very earliest conversations we've had about this kind of stuff, which is the, a country is at its strongest when it has a powerful middle class. And if you go through human history, if you go through every society in the history of humankind, you will find that to be true. And one of the reasons why China's kicking our ass right now, for example, is because they have a ridiculously powerful, wealthy, and well-educated middle class. Look at our middle class in this country. Our middle class is crumbling at the seams. People are becoming less educated, fatter, less healthy. Um, well, and, one of the other reasons they're kicking our ass is because they have more labor than us. We, you know, we have these people, these immigrants that want to come into this country and work, and we're saying no. Well, let me tell you people something about, about capitalism. Labor is an asset. So the more people you have in a country that can work, the more you can produce. Therefore, the more valuable your economy is. So um, uh, that's where I, the, the, I, don't, I don't entirely agree with that, but okay. How is that wrong? Well, because more, if you have too, if you How have do you run a factory many, without workers? Well, I understand that. But if you have too many workers in a given environment and not enough jobs for them, then the overall value of that specific job becomes lower because you have people who are... We see that in the Bay Area a lot, actually. Um, and I have friends who experience this, including myself at times, where you can have way qualified people who can't get decent jobs because there's too much competition for them. Right. But that's that goes back to the taxation at the top level. Because there's not people creating enough jobs. So if, if people are, have the incentive to open, you know, Amazon has an incentive to open another, another headquarters and then another one. Everywhere they go, they are creating jobs. But you can't, you know, like we talk about in this, everybody wants to buy, you know, on, on the right, one of the big talking issues is always buy stuff made in America, made in America, you know, move the factories back to America. They'd fall apart if you brought them back because we don't have enough labor to support them. Yeah, we don't have the infrastructure totally. And we don't have enough skilled labor either. And the thing about it too is, you know, people are always worried like, oh, if you bring in, if you bring in immigrants, then it's going to lower the wages of everybody. You're right. It's going to lower the wages of everybody. But that's to our advantage because we don't only make money in this country. We also spend it. And everywhere we spend it, the prices will be lower because they'll be paying less as well. So your Starbucks coffee that you buy every day won't be $5. It'd be $4 because they pay their employees a little bit less. So it balances out. It's not just one way. It's not like the prices stay the same and then the wages go down. The wages go down and the prices go down. So I say, let everybody cross the border. Let's give them all fucking jobs. If they want to come here to work, those are the kind of people we want. 
Yeah, I mean, I the problem. <clears throat> so I agree and I disagree with that, right? The problem is our current infrastructure can't support that many people. Just can't. It literally can't. Um, you know, our schools can't support it. Our, our our transit systems can't support it. Our our infrastructure can't support. It. I mean, we're just not built to be able to do that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I disagree with you. I'm saying that that we have to. I mean, if you look at countries in which this has happened recently, you know, if you look at Germany, if you look at uh, countries around the Mediter- Mediterranean area or the large cities in in the Middle East that have get, been getting massive influxes of people, um, their infrastructures go into overdrive. Like, I mean, it's huge. There are huge problems that develop because of that, because the 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 not only do the infrastructures, but the economies themselves can't support that large group of people that fast. So I think. So I think one of the, the considerations that we have to talk about here is not just how many people we let in this country, but how how quickly they're allowed into this country. Because I don't disagree with you. I think let everyone in is a good philosophy, but how we do that and how quickly we do that becomes a huge part of that equation. Well, let's also clarify something too, though, that the way you build infrastructure is through labor. You know, all of those all of those places that need to be built have to be built by hands. All those sure. things that need to be put together have to be put together by human beings. And we yeah, have sure. human beings to upgrade the infrastructure. And and so you're talking about the, the New Deal now and, and what that actually like there there's definitely talk that, you know, it's one of the things that, that Obama was talking about. Actually every fucking president's talked about it, is creating some version of that for the modern time, which is to create an environment in which we would have the need to build more infrastructure, right? So I mean Here's, here's the issue, right? <clears throat> what you're talking about, and I think here's, here's what pe- a lot of people are going to lose in the way you're describing this, is that you're talking about a much, much bigger thing than a specific thing like immigration. This is an entire systemic change from the bottom up. Right. And, and the problem with the way this country is, both, both what's good and what's bad about this country, um, actually right now what's very bad about it, is that we fix little problems and not big ones. And right. Because the, the do, little ones get you reelected. Yeah, exactly. And in order to fix the things that you're specifically talking about, you got to rip some shit down to its very core and rebuild it, man. It's right. the only way to do it. It's the and only way to do it. If anybody knows anything about me, I'm all about ripping things down to the core and rebuilding. Oh, of course. And I don't even, I don't even disagree with that. Like one of the things that, that, um, <clears throat> uh, God, ripping shit down. This is such a, this is such a can of worms, dude. There's so many things that I'm working on that that are are, are inherently about this, um, but there's always a price you pay for that. You know, there's always there's always a price you pay for blowing it up and rebuilding it again, um, because there's there's a group of people within that span of time that don't get the benefit of what it is, whatever it is that you're ripping down. And so do you do you margin do you do you just marginalize those people or are they just you know sacrificial lambs to the slaughter in this particular case? That's tough. That's a tough choice to make. It totally is. But at the same time, what are you going to do? Sometimes you don't have a choice. Yeah, you know, I'm not. Dis- I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that philosophically, it's a tough choice. Sometimes there's a certain battle on this whole idea. Which number one, uh, people are going to because of my argument about taxation, the rich are going to think that I'm one thing politically, which I'm not. Um, my, my point of everything, when I think about everything, and I'm not always right, of course, and I don't think I'm always right. The reason I always argue for things, what I'm always arguing for is the benefit for the most people. That sure, people are taken care sure. of. 
And I don't care if it's an idea that comes from the right or from the left. I just presented two completely uh, ideas that are completely polar parties. You know, the left, the left is, is pro-immigration. The right is anti-immigration. So I presented a left idea there. Taxation of the rich is a right idea. So I don't care where it comes from. But when you, when you look at things, everybody's always looking at it through the lens of party. They're always looking at it through this ideology. And we have to, going back to stripping things down, we have to strip down that bullshit and start to look at, like you said, working with the Republican, um, to look at things and go, how do we actually do this? And yes, sometimes people are going to be marginalized. Fuck, that sucks. How can we mitigate that as little as sure. we can without destroying the future? Because what you... You know, like um, it's it's awful that you have to think about it. Like you said, it's complex. But you say, um, say say fifty thousand people are going to be marginalized by this because um, certain places, you know, the, the 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 economy will be destroyed in this place, in this place, in this place. But those people's children will have jobs, and those people's children, um, and and everybody else's children will. Um, and that's more than fifty thousand people. Well, now you have to do math with human lives. That sucks. Yeah, that really fucking sucks. But the, if the alternative is if we don't do this, then uh, everybody's fucked in the end, then you don't have a choice. And I think we're at the point going back to why people voted for Obama, why people voted for um, Trump. Uh, we're at the point in this country where we're realizing like, oh, we don't have a choice anymore. We have to change something because this is broken and we can't keep repairing it. There's not enough band-aids and not enough splints to keep this monster moving. Mm. Well, I mean, the, the question, the question always comes down to, and this is what people don't realize about, about what we're describing or not what we're describing. People don't have a strong enough idea about, about what is involved politically or economically because they don't understand the zero sum game. You know what I mean? They don't understand that everything has a price somewhere and that someone has to pay that price. And I'm not saying that that's, I'm saying that you have to be aware of that price, but you still have to do it. And I think that's what you're describing too, is that sometimes you just can't save everybody. And sometimes not taking the right course of action and being decisive about it then makes it possible for future generations or even a much larger group of people to ultimately benefit from the action that you're taking, even though it may potentially hurt a small group of people immediately. Right. It's, it's awful. It's, that's why yeah, it's awful. It's, it sucks. Neither of you want, you, neither of us want to be politicians because we are not the ones who has to make those choices, but it is a chess game. And sometimes, unfortunately, you can't win a game without losing a piece. Of course. It's awful. It's terrible. It's just like what we were talking about with war and all that stuff earlier. Like sometimes you do have to go to war. So you don't want to. Sometimes you do. You know, like um, in the case of, of, of Germany in, in Europe during World War II, I don't think that Britain wanted to go to war. But no, they didn't no one really have a choice. The US didn't. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, we as, as Americans, we had a choice, right? We could sit back across the Atlantic and go, and we did, by the way. Sit yeah, back exactly. for years and pretend I was like, say, like we we really didn't do shit in the beginning. <laughs> oh, you know, um, let's let's spin off of politics here for a little bit. And if anybody's left that we haven't pissed off yet, <laughs> interesting thing I was reading today. Um, so, uh, Germany by the time by uh, post war, post World War II, by the 1950s, Germany was already talking about what had happened in their history books. 
and they weren't glossing it over. They were telling, like, if anybody doesn't know this, Germany after World War II is probably one of the most honestly repentant nations in the history of the world. Sure. I mean, in a lot of cases to their detriment too, by the way, I have, I have a cousin that lives in Germany and she's lived there her entire life and she'll tell you something about that. But they, one of the interesting things about it, the good things about it is they taught it in schools. They didn't hide it. And then you take Japan, their ally during the war, Japan hid. And they glossed over all of the facts of what had happened in their history books. And I thought that was interesting. These two allies went complete polar opposites with how they dealt with, with what happened. And I started, I started thinking about this and I'm curious um, if you have any input on this. Um, China did the same thing with Tiananmen, right? And I'm sure they did it with lots of other things. It, there's no history books in China that, that will tell you about Tiananmen. Um, and it's one of the reasons I think they censor their internet is they don't want certain things out there. And I wonder if there's something inherent to the cultures in that region of the world that wants them to hide the negative things in their history? I don't know. It's a good question. I have huge problems with it. Um, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen other places in the world too. I'm, but it's just interesting that the two biggest cultures there. I, I hate it personally. Um, I always feel like there's a, every, every mistake you make is an opportunity to learn and you learn much more from um you, you learn much more from failing than you do from succeeding. I mean, if Germany, Germany's any indicator of that, if you see how the country is today, I mean, this, the, the strives that they've made towards a functioning society are dramatically improved over, I mean, even what we conceive of as a functioning country. I mean, don't get me wrong. They have their problems, especially um, given their immigration issues, especially recently. But um, have you been to Germany? You haven't been to Germany, right? Yeah, I think I have. I was on a bus tour, so I can't remember where I went. I didn't. I didn't stay there. I think I just drove through there and ate lunch there. Uh, gotcha. Okay. Well, it's kind oh, of oh, drank beer there. <laughs> of course you did, because if you go to Germany and don't drink beer, there's something inherently wrong with you. Um, man, <laughs> the word of the, the word of the day for me is inherently weird. I haven't figured mine out yet. Yeah, I, I I think we're getting to that point though. Like, I mean, we're I I think we could keep going on this bus forever. Um, let's talk about challenge stuff now. Let's get out of this pol- political stuff for a while. Yeah, I didn't even, uh, that wasn't even on my list. I didn't know we were going to talk about that stuff today. Yeah, we never do. We always end up circling around to it just because we're so sick and tired of people <laughs> not yeah. understanding what the hell's going on. At least that's my frustration is the sheer lack of education. It's part of why one of the things I'm helping to support, for example, is one of our local assembly members is working on lowering the voting age. And it's not that I give a shit about younger people voting. Um, it's that I give a shit about younger people being involved in civics. So by the time they get to like their mid twenties or early thirties, they understand what they're voting for and why, and why it's so damn important. That's interesting because I would think that it would be better to raise the voting age. No, hell so no. You had people who were more educated voting and people no, who were less I, no, educated not voting. No, no, the problem is why they're more educated versus versus why they're less educated, right? So if you get in people, if you get people involved younger, they have a more vested interest and they have a better understanding of why it's important that their involvement is necessary. I'm not sure I believe that. Mm. That's, so you'd I, rather I, you'd have you'd rather have fewer smarter people voting than yeah. a lot more people. Well I, th- well, I think that the, there's there's a hole in the in the logic of the other one. Just because somebody doesn't can vote doesn't mean they're going to give a shit. Oh, I understand that. Sure. There's a huge hole in that logic. 
I think that the real problem, regardless, I don't think the age is the problem in either case. I think the real problem is that we don't fucking teach this stuff in school. Yeah, and that's and that's I got part a really the, good education. I don't know goddamn thing about how the government works. Well, and and that's part of the reason why it's not just about the voting age. I'm incorporating this into the educational process. So it would be taught in your social studies class. It would be taught in your political science class in high school. Like why, how and why civics works the way that it does. So it's not just the voting age. The voting age is just the the catalyst for defining the other programs that go along with it. For me, the whole thing, like I said, it's not about voting age at all. It's about civic involvement and then building the apparatus that makes that civic involvement not only possible for someone who's younger, um, but makes it possible for that young person to to also learn about the political process. Because, yeah, you're right. I didn't learn. Dude, I, I went to school on the east side, man. Like, no one gave a shit about politics over there. I did because I'm a weirdo. But I will say that that it, it was not part of my daily life. Not only was it not a part of my daily life, it was actually consistently frowned upon by my friends and the environment itself. Because, and, and I think the precursor to that, at least in my mind, is the fear of not understanding it. You know? So you're going to ridicule it because you don't get it. You don't understand what the hell is going on. I think that what would be interesting is if we could do simulations. Wouldn't it be nice if we get to the point where we can run simulations? It's like, what what happens if we lower the voting age? That works or it doesn't work? What happens if we raise it? That works, that doesn't work. My mm. God, government would be so much easier if we could run simulations. And they don't even have to be 100% accurate. If you can get an 80% accuracy on a simulation, you'd you'd redefine government forever. Sure. And yeah, you'd still make mistakes, but fuck, you'd have at least a better starting place. All right, let's get the fuck away from politics. That's too much. Yeah. Like my entire life these days is politics. So I, 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 I'm going to try, and I don't know if this is physically possible for us, um, but I'm going to try to talk about politics less on this show. <laughs> you know what's funny is this time you're the one that started it. <laughs> Did I really? Damn it. Yep. I didn't okay. have it on my list and I actually didn't intend to talk about it at all because I haven't been reading any of it. Shit. Okay. Um, but I will say this to anybody listening. If you don't like the, pol- the politics talk, number one, I'm not going to guarantee we're never going to talk about it. Um, but Lamb and I both feel um, nervous every time we have a, a, a political episode and we release it. <laughs> it feels weird every time. We always blow. We always just blow right through it, though, don't we? Yeah. I, it, it's always when I sit down to edit and then I listen, you know, like last time we talked a lot about politics not last episode, but the last time that we did, mm-hmm. when I went in to edit, I was like, maybe I'll just cut that part out. But it just fit the conversation so well that I was like, no, it has to stay. Shit. Yep, can't do it. I can't do it, man. I feel it. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the people to start making t-shirts saying that I'm um, alt-right adjacent or something ridiculous like that. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, if they only knew me. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's it's funny because if you if you heard if you knew who we were outside, you'd know how far off that is. <laughs> and I think what's, what's important to point out too is um, the show's about thinking and talking and using conversation as a way to think. Um, that's why Lamb and I can do this and have, we, there's a lot of things we talked about in there. We had different opinions about, we didn't rip each other's throat out. I don't feel antagonistic at all. My blood pressure didn't even go up. Yeah, totally. Because this is a conversation about logic. We're, we're, we're trying to understand the logic of things. It's not about being right. You know, half the things that I said are probably wrong and Lamb's probably right. And some of the stuff he said is probably wrong and I might be right. And then there's a huge chunk of what both of us said that's completely fucking wrong and somebody else is right about it. 
actually probably but, the bulk of it. But the, but why does it work so well? It's because we can have this conversation in a safe place and and be able to give unjudged opinions to each other about the other person's thoughts. And that's what we we need to consistently do more as a country is we need to just give people safe spaces to talk about this shit without judging them, man. And what's lacking that is not lacking here, but is lacking in the public discourse is respect. Sure. We can talk about anything on here because I respect you. And, yeah, sure. and I actually care what you think. I'm not trying to beat you. I want to hear what you have to say and I want to bounce off of it and I want to be wrong. And it's fun. It's, it doesn't have to be this horrible thing. It's great. And there will be things that we talked about that in like two days, I'll be like running through my head and be like, oh, click. That's different. Yep. That's different than what I was saying there. That, you know, I'll have these ideas and that's, that's the way things are supposed to work. And that's, sure. if there's anything, you know, it's, as I said earlier in the show, who knows what the fuck this show is about. That's what this show is about. This show is about breaking things down and trying to understand what the fuck they are. Whether we both we, we both have such a strong desire to do that in our regular lives too though. I mean if if we're both good at anything, it's the the ability to deconstruct. Yeah. I mean, you, we could even, you know, like you could almost say that that's probably a better name for the show. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Break shit down and yeah, just breaking it down, man. That's what that's what we love doing. I mean, anytime if you catch Chad and I in the wilderness, um we're probably dissecting something. And we're probably naked. <laughs> we're in the wilderness <laughs> oh man why why throw that out there holy uh, shit so did you plan your challenge for this week I definitely didn't I did not I'm thinking of it right now to be honest with you and we're both panicking right now you want me to bring up another topic yeah yeah, yeah I have, sure a, I have a short one I have a, it's kind of funny one um, funny for me at least so <laughs> yesterday I got this email and as did every podcaster who has an iTunes or a, sorry is it called iTunes Connect Apple Podcast Connect account. Got this email from Apple about metadata. About you know, don't do this, don't do that. Um, I don't think I saved the email, but basically, it was four points, four bullet points. One of them was like really technical. Um, I didn't even understand it because it's nothing I've ever done or even seen. I don't remember what the second one was. The third one was something that I see people do all the time that always drove me nuts, and I'm glad they're cracking down on it which is people will put in, um, you know, like random badassery, comma, um, travel, comma, productivity. They'll just throw all these keywords into the title of their show, you know, trying to boost their sales and and, sales, their um, downloads and their SEO. So, you know, like they'll have their name and then they'll just put like, you know, like what people used to do on homepages, just stuff in a bunch of words that'll come up in search. So, um, and then the fourth one was, putting the number of the episode in the title of the episode, which is what we do on this show and creative minds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then underneath was this threat that basically is like, well, you, you, if you're applying a show, which is weird that they send it to people who already have shows, um, you may be rejected for any of these reasons. And if you already have a show, you may have your show removed for any of these reasons. Oh, interesting. And I, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, because it doesn't really matter if we number the episodes for this show. Not really a big deal. I like the way it looks stylistically, you know. Um, but the other show, Creative Minds, super important that I have episode numbers. Because if I have repeat get, repeat guests, you know, like um, like if you come on there twice, uh, it'll be like, oh, Lamb, the episode in 2018, 
No, it'll just be like, you know, Lamb was on episode, you know, 47 and he was on episode uh, 56. Sure. So those numbers are really important for that show. So I said, well, you know, I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, Joe Rogan is one of the top podcasts in the world and he puts numbers in his show titles. And Tim Ferriss puts numbers in his show titles. Another one of the top podcasts in the world. So I opened the, the app and I looked and I'm like, I looked at their top 200 and there was about 60 shows in their top 200 that used numbers in their episode titles. So I fired back an email to Apple and I'm like, so if you're going to enforce this, are you going to enforce it on, and I just dropped in the list of all these shows, are you going to enforce it on all of these shows? Or is it just us small podcasters that are going to get in trouble? And I'm, I'm not going to say it had anything to do with me. I think, in fact, this had something to do with me and probably thousands and thousands of other podcasters doing the same exact thing I did was today, dear podcast provider, to improve your experience with Apple Podcasts, we want to share the following information and updates. Oh, this is actually, this is the, this is the one where um, they're telling you what not to do. Mm. Um, shit, did I save the other one? <laughs> Basically, they retracted it in one day. Oh, wow. Um, and it, and it, in big, bold letters, it says, your show will not be removed for having episode numbers. <laughs> so oh, apparently, okay. people just took a fat shit at that email. Yeah, I was going to say, like, can you imagine the uproar? <laughs> and to be honest, in this case, totally makes sense because that's stupid. Yeah, sure. Makes no sense. What the hell do they care if you put a number in the title of your episode? Well, I'm sure there's a programming reason for that. And they were trying to make their own lives easier, not realizing that it was going to infuriate the entire community. <laughs> it's just impossible. It, you know, I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a programming problem. I mean, podcasts run on RSS feeds. You sure. can title anything the fuck you want an RSS feed with whatever you want. RSS feed doesn't care. Yeah, but maybe maybe it's something that they're thinking about changing that requires a certain God, God knows why. I mean, the the only reason I say that is because it's it's not very likely that Apple did that without reason. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, they made a mistake, and good for them for retracting it in a day. Though. Yeah, yeah, that's actually that's actually pretty hopeful. Um, I like I like it when companies react like that. Well, I, you know the companies that typically succeed are the ones that can pivot quickly. Yeah, well they're like, whoa, whoa, oh, sorry, whoa, 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 wait a minute, yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Let's try that again. All right, you got a challenge? Oh. What do you got? Oh shit! I just re- I just read what the second one was. I would have been in trouble for the second one too. Verbatim repetition of the title or author name. So oh. that would be you know. Like their example, Very Hungry Tourist by Maria Sanchez. Like, oh, so um, with with Chad Hall would be, Creative Minds with Chad Hall would be in trouble for that too. So the Joe Rogan experience would be a, okay, another email. Right. Duh. <laughs> WTF uh, with Mark Maron. Well, duh. I mean, come on. Oh, that's why. That makes no sense. I don't understand the verb, the verbatim part. Anyways, let's dude, not worry dude, about soon, that. Soon, sooner or later, someone is going to make a dent in their monopoly, and they're going to be less. They're going to have to be less stupid about this stuff. And to be honest, uh, and they're not stupid about this stuff. Uh, if if there's anything that Apple's done really right for the last uh, I don't know, like five or six years, now we'll say ten is podcasting. 
They've no, literally but, kept their hands out of it and they left it to be think free. About how, think about how much podcasting has kind of changed the world too. Yeah. And that's because of them staying out of it and letting it be, you know, un, untainted like everything else has become. And then if you listen to any old time podcasters that, are, that have been around forever, they'll tell you the same thing. That like the only reason that the podcasting community it is, is because of Apple's blind beneficence. <laughs> mm. Interesting. All right. Challenge. I don't know. Um, what do you think? I, def- I definitely have a good one. Okay. Start. Uh, I'm going 30, 30, 30. Um, and they can't all be at the same time. So I can't do an hour and a half of this. So basically I'm going to spend 30 minutes listening to music, 30 minutes um, watching a TV show or 30 minutes reading a book every day. And oh, I'm going to cool. do, I'm going to do all three of those every day and I can't do them all consecutively. Hold on. I'm writing that one in. Um, so you're doing all three every day. Yeah. So 30, 30, 30. So the point in my mind is that I spend, I spend my days from morning till night. There, there are times where I will literally continue working until like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I haven't stopped at all throughout the course of the entire day. Um, and I don't take enough breaks for myself. I'm constantly stressed out. I'm filled with anxiety. Um, it physically manifests itself in insomnia and digestive problems for me. And I'm sick and tired of that shit. So I need to take breaks where I completely get out of my world for 30 minutes each day, 30 minute intervals. And I'm probably going to space them out like with three or four hours in between. Like I kind of want to keep it informal because I don't want to lock myself to the schedule either. Because I think part of the reason why I have such anxiety is because of the rigidity in my life. Um, So I need to make it loose, but I want to give myself the opportunity to dip out of my world when I need to. Okay. So reading, what were the other two? Reading, listening to music and watching a show. And it can be, it can be, and it can all, all of those things can be longer than that. But the two caveats are number one, that I have to not do anything else. So I can't like listen to music while I'm working, for example, and I can't have a TV show going on while I'm working in the background. You know what I mean? It has to be dedicated to that thing. Okay. So that gives me a good idea for my challenge. What do you got? Single tasking challenge. And I will. Wow, name. that's such a tough one. I was thinking about doing that, like, just in my normal life. But yeah, okay, carry on. I'm not going to do it across the board. I'm going to focus on two areas where I think I have problems, um, and and go from there. I will no longer, um, when I'm watching TV, have my iPad in my hands. And if I'm watching TV, I'm watching TV. If I'm looking something on the iPad, I have to pause whatever I'm watching. So I actually have to make a conscious decision to change over tasks so that I, I'm aware of how much I'm changing tasks. And the other thing is when I'm working on the computer, no listening to podcasts. Mm. Um, that's a big one because when I'm working on the computer, I'm doing stuff with my brain and you know most of the stuff on the computer revolves around words. So I've got input and output of the same type going on at the same time. And that's just fries my brain. Sure. So those will be my challenges for the week. How about for the listeners? What do we have for them? How about um, I'll, I'll give it. We'll, we'll each give it a challenge to the listeners at each one too. How's that? Oh yeah, sure. Um, my challenge for the listeners is 
have a calm conversation about politics with one person. Shit. Was that yours? Yeah. Well, then just do it twice, people. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's, I'll think of a different one. Damn it. That was literally the one I was going to say, too. Um, <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, that derails me. I thought it was brilliant for thinking of it, too. Um, wow. Okay. Um, go. Don't just have it. Okay. So mine will be a little different, right? Mine, because I'm, I'm talking about being present. So not just... I'm going to add to your challenge. We'll make it into one challenge. Um, don't just have a conversation with this person. So like, don't do it on the phone. Don't do it over Facebook. Physically have lunch or have a cup of coffee with this person in a pleasant place. So it's got to be face-to-face. Yeah, face-to-face always better. But, but in this particular case, it's part of the challenge. Like you have to do it face-to-face. I do want to add something, um, a piece of information that may help them. Um, I might be remembering the term wrong, but I believe it's charity. Um, so there's there's an idea in philosophy that when you have a discussion with someone, you should always be taking the most charitable perception of what they're saying. So uh, boil that down to even more simply, when somebody's saying something, always assume the best interpretation of what they're saying instead of the worst sure. the conversation will be different. Yeah. In, in most circumstances, by the way, and this is like 99% true. Most of the time people are not trying to hurt you or being, well, some people are, some people are just contrarians by nature, but it's the thing we, we started all of this out with when it comes to the political side of things, right? Like no one ever gets into the business of politics to hurt people. Yeah. So don't get into a discussion to hurt somebody. So take it with a grain of salt and treat people with the respect that you want to be treated with. Listen to them the way you want them to listen to you and don't just wait for your fucking turn to talk because I hate that. All right, babies. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.